This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 314 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund shellacking Union Berlin 5 to nothing, the DFB Pokal third round against Werder Bremen on Tuesday and the Saturday top spiel against fifth place Bayer Leverkusen for that and more. Join me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well Stefan, how are you today? I am doing very well myself and a little disclaimer. I'm not as well prepared as I usually am because uh, I spend all that time with my dog in the park chasing squirrels. So um I will need the support of you too. And that indicates there's another person here. He is the editor-in-chief of Spielverlagerung.com. Hello, Konstantin Eckner. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan Butzko. How are you doing? <laughs> All right, so we don't have any <laughs> sponsors for this episode. Um, Probably because we... you're walking your dog while should actually chasing <laughs> sponsors. Exactly, exactly. No, we, we do have sponsors, but uh, I uh, am not entirely sure what I'm yet to shout out. So, um, uh, you know, there's always next podcast. Anyway, if you want to sponsor an episode, then uh, please go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And for 10 bucks, you can get a shout out like last week, the... Uh, fan club from Norway who uh, we saw on Twitter had the time of their lives and obviously with uh, Arling Haaland scoring yet another brace uh, I'm sure they had a lot of fun um, I saw a lot of Norwegian flags in the stands on the yellow wall and uh, around the stadium so that hype definitely is real and uh, I guess we can start with uh, the game against Union Berlin before we talk about the cup and the next top spiel um Matthias, I thought that was a very um, convincing performance. I did listen while I was walking my dog to the Rasenfunk and they were talking about Union Berlin wearing pretty much uh, without a chance throughout the entire game and how seldom it, seldom it is that Union Berlin are this out of their own depth. So um, do you think that was just due to Dortmund scoring two goals very early? Well, obviously, you know, I have to agree with what was Fischer who said uh, this was not a 5-0 victory. I mean, maybe 2-0 at most. And, um, you know, that they <laughs> that Union Berlin basically gifted Dortmund the victory and played very well in the second half. No, uh, in all seriousness, uh, it could have been almost double digits at times had Dortmund not been quite so cute in front of goal. Um, I do agree that I don't remember. I would say... The only other matches where Union Berlin got this dominated was the first half against Bayern and the first match day at all um, against RB Leipzig, where they lost 4-0, which we did reference in the last episode because Leipzig at that time was still playing with a back three. Um, 
yeah, Berlin had, a f- you know, I would say, what, maybe 10, 10, 15 minute spell in the beginning of the second half where they were a little more comfortable. Uh, but uh, there was that huge opportunity where Sancho and Holland kind of got in each other's way. It could have made it three, and then obviously the penalty, and that just ended it. Um, the 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 best highlight of the entire match for Union Berlin was uh, the way Nevin Subotic got treated by uh, the Borussia Dortmund supporters after the match. But other than that, Union Berlin, where they looked like a newly promoted side, uh, which they usually don't. Yeah, that is very true. Um, I would say that uh, defensively, that performance was uh, pretty good. I saw uh, Lars Polman tweet the game sort of real life because he didn't have the chance to, to watch it live and uh, pointed out Dortmund's sloppiness here and there. Um, Constantine, um, before we talk about the uh, attacking prowess of the mighty black and yellows who are now back in third place after uh, Leipzig Engladbach drew 2-2-2, two, 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 on the in in the top spiel, um, how do you value Dortmund's de- defensive performance? Because we know that Union Berlin, uh, if you let them, can actually score a couple goals. And if I remember correctly, I think Bülter had one good chance after a set piece, but otherwise uh, Roman Bürki, I don't think, had much to do. I, I guess there were a few um, on a few occasions Union had maybe the chance to do something against Dortmund. Uh, I mean, a chance to have a chance. <laughs> a chance to have a chance to make something happen, maybe with a chance to score. But uh, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, there wasn't much. Um, I mean, of course, if you look closely uh, in terms of how the back three moved and how, for instance, Piszczek uh, sometimes marked down um, Anderson a little bit too closely, I think, when, he, when Piszczek left his position and basically left the gap open on his side. But that was like minor things, I think, which are important for Favre when he goes into post-match analysis and, and talks to his players. Um, and of course, other teams might punish you uh, on something like that. But Union wasn't really there uh, to do that. They, they were really overwhelmed by Dortmund and the counter-pressing. And, uh, and, and if Dortmund was not forced to counter-press, just overwhelmed by um, how Dortmund rolled down one at one uh, play after another and uh, basically dominated uh, Union not throughout the entire match but for the most part I mean there was still um, a short somewhat short spell after halftime um, where Dortmund again got sloppy it's just I don't know what the team does right uh, yeah I would say like the 10 first minutes before the break and then the 10 first minutes after the break or so or basically un- until the third. I-, I thought, I'm not sure, but I th- think at least after the break, Dortmund looked sloppy because they wanted just to counterattack. That was my impression that they were comfortable sitting back a little bit more. But how how did you see it? Because that's only my impression and I might have just gotten it wrong and Dortmund were just lackadaisical. I wasn't so concerned about uh, let's say five to seven minutes before a halftime break because sometimes you need just a break huh? um, and maybe you know not, not that you get sloppy but uh, you might uh, put a little bit on the breaks and uh, stop being so intense uh, it's not especially if you see that you um, are uh, leading and you are dominating a match uh, maybe uh, I mean even unintentionally you you might um, hit the brakes a little bit there, but um, 
after the half, yeah, I, f I had the same impression as you had. Um, f just that maybe they wanted to uh, hit Union once or twice on, on the break and basically seal the deal there, um, which wasn't, I think, the smartest strategy. Uh, because even against a team like Union, um, Dortmund shouldn't sit too deep um, and basically wait for what's going to happen. Um, still, there, there are too much holes in the def uh, defense. Um, there's too much sloppiness going on sometimes in terms of mocking, in terms of, of uh, switches within the defense. So it's not the best strategy, just overall. I mean, I, and there are plenty of matches this season that have proven that to be true. Um, and even if Union doesn't um, pose the attacking threat that other teams do, do um, still uh, just not smart. Uh, but... And, and and even when when you follow the match and you read some stuff on Twitter, I mean, there was like uh, basically some were complaining about how Dortmund uh, always finds a way to bring someone back into a game, and I mean, there's some truth to it because uh, that's what Dortmund often enough has done uh, in, the, in this season. Um, I mean, remember the Leipzig game and others, uh, and, and the Hoffenheim game, and and so on. Um, and sometimes it was uh, because Dortmund got sloppy and not not that the opponent got really better. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's true, but, uh, you know, considering the intensity level that Dortmund sometimes shows, it's, I think, almost impossible to do that over 90 minutes. And if you have a 2 0 lead, I personally am a bit more confident in Dortmund, uh, you know, not pressing as high as, as usual. But, um, that all being said, um, let's talk a little bit about the counter pressing and, uh, about the 1 0, because, um, you know, obviously it was a little bit, luck involved with the deflected shot that Jaden Sancho had, but um I think the uh ball winning of first I think Julian Brandt sort of pressed the ball at the uh, opponent's box and then uh Rafael Guerrero um won it and, and played the assist to, to Sancho Matias. Um I think this is really right now the key to Dortmund's success in, in many ways that their counter pressing uh has has evolved and improved to an extent that uh, you can make these plays against teams that uh, then fall apart because otherwise Union Berlin would have been a bit more compact. But if you win the ball in that area, it's just uh, almost impossible to defend, especially if you come up against Jane Sancho, who is just uh, on fire right now. Well, absolutely. And that's an element of the game that, uh, you know, we missed for large parts of the first half of the season um, where there just wasn't that, that aggressive counter press. Uh, I think uh, was Fischer said, you know, we made it easy for Dortmund because we made mistakes in the build-up play. Yeah, there were mistakes in the build-up play. Obviously, you have to think of Kikovic with two massive, <laughs> massive howlers, which is kind of weird because he's, in general, a pretty decent keeper. Um, but it's not so much that they, that they made mistakes because they were, you know, they did the typical Dortmund thing of just switching off. They got those mistakes also forced upon them by the way Dortmund played. Uh, and obviously, uh, the moment you talked about was very, very symptomatic and symbolic of that. Um, and when you do that against a side like Union Berlin that is not technically very as gifted as other sides, they, you know, they're more comfortable with the long ball, which is something that just Dortmund didn't allow them to play. They didn't give them the time in their build-up to launch the ball, so they tried to 
play out through Dortmund, and that's just not going to work. Not with the setup that Union Berlin had, with the formation they had, and facing the players that that Dortmund had. There were a few moments where they maybe could have almost broken, but then a Dortmund player gets a boot in there, his positioning is right, and then it's just a reload all over again through Brandt and Witzel. Um, so it was um, a very good team effort all around. It wasn't disjointed at all uh, how they pressed uh, and everybody did their their jobs uh, well, not just in an offensive positioning sense that we've obviously bemoaned in the past, but also defensive positioning. Um, and thankfully, Pischek and Akanji didn't get exposed and then once, obviously, Zagadou came in and Akanji went to the right side, it was all over. There was no chance left for Union Berlin at that point. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Rafael Guerrero at this point because um, I think his uh, hustle and counter press um, was very good in the last two games. And um, it's nice to see some uh, high intensity from him because um, he is not necessarily a player that always shows that. And uh, whenever he does, I think Dortmund play a lot better. Also, just because of his uh, uh, footballing IQ and the, the runs that he makes when he when he makes them, so I think that's very valuable to Dortmund, and uh, especially in this game uh, in a four three nee, three four three system, um, you rely on on Hakimi and Giro a little bit um, to to really attack the wings, and I think they they did it well, and uh, it's it's good to see them scramble on the inside on the outside and to be everywhere a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think overall, um, counter pressing is improved also with, uh, Julian Brandt, um, doing his thing and Axel Witzel. I think overall, um, uh, Dortmund were very brave against Union Berlin to go forward. Um, you know, so that's, that's very positive. And, uh, yeah, otherwise, I think it just a, a very good performance against a, a team that can be very uncomfortable if you let them, but, um, yeah, I think defensively that was all quite very sound. Um, Konstantin, how do you um, evaluate right now? Because we haven't talked to you in a, in a little while the role of uh, the double pivot with Witzel and Brandt. Because I am a little bit in love. How are you? In love with what? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I mean it works, uh, especially. I think especially because uh, Farfra adjusts um, Brandt's role uh, related to what side uh, Dortmund's build-up is going through, um, meaning that right now um, Dortmund f in, in build-up focuses much more on the right side, uh, on the Hakimi, Piszczek. Um, in this game it was Holland, our game is the Sancho side. Um, and Brandt is also the, the, right, the right side at center midfielder, which he didn't play before i mean at leverkusen when he played at center midfield he played on the left side uh, and, and when um Farfer changed the system uh last november at first Prant also played on the left side uh with then sagadu and guerrero and, and um but because sagadu was out i think there was the switch and akanji is not or was not uh that involved in the build-up because as a right-footed player on the left side i mean it's kind of kind of uh, restricts your movement and passing um, so that's why I think uh, it's smart uh, by far for it to really 
pick and choose where he uses Brandt uh, because of uh, because Brandt is the kind of playmaker he needs. Uh, we talked about the counter pressing. Often enough, it's that then after these counter pressures, it's uh, Brandt who plays the pass, uh, who's breaking down the the next line and basically exploiting these opportunities that are uh, opened up through counter-pressing. Uh, so he's, he's basically perf- the perfect um, counter-pressing playmaker or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Um, so I, I think that that works quite well. And on the other hand, uh, since with, with Witzel being at 100% despite wearing a mask and um, <laughs> looking like, I don't know what, I mean, like starring in... The Phantom one of, of these, the Opera, maybe? Or, Starring in one of these C movies where high school kids get killed in a motel uh, by a Witzel, then um, I think it's it's uh, it's working also because uh, he, do- he doesn't sit back. Um, he also runs down. He tries to t- do some uh, take ons and stuff. I mean, it doesn't look as elegant um, as it looks when when Brent does it or Reis, uh but still it works um so he also pressures the other side and and puts puts pressure on the opponent and then it's also right there for for counter pressing situations uh where he is of course that kind of like be all end all uh type of counter pressing player um so that that works as well um if there's if there might be uh, a situation where maybe um, Delaney comes back and and gives uh, Whistler a break for for a match or so. Of course, then then uh, Delaney plays on the left side as a as a left footy, um, so and as a lefty. And um, I mean that would also kind of work in that kind of system right now. Uh, but of course, with with Witzel and Prant, it's a, basically the perfect uh, duo you can have in the three four three. Yeah, I would very much agree. I mean, I already said it uh, on on the last episode. I just wanted to uh, hear my own words confirmed the, the next week. So thank you very much for that, uh, Constantine. Of and, and, um, and I didn't listen to the last episode, and I'm just you know, I'm just we we are understanding each other basically politely. Yes, yes, uh, a blind understanding, just uh, like uh, Julian Brandt and uh, Erling Haaland were talking about after the game. Um, even though I still think that the uh, back heel that was. Uh, Brandsegnesis for Haaland was a little bit, uh, you know, inadvertent, um, sort of uh, poking in the dark, if you will. But um, before we talk about uh, our new wonder striker, um, I want to talk a little bit about Jaden Sancho now because he um, broke a new Bundesliga record or set a new Bundesliga record. He became the first player to score 25 goals before turning 20 years old. And uh, just in the Bundesliga this season, in the last nine games, he has managed to have both at least one goal and one assist seven times, which is just crazy. Um, at least one goal and one assist each per game nine times in 18 league appearances. He now has 12 goals, 13 assists in 18 games, and he's the third best goal scorer in the Bundesliga right now, best Dortmund goal scorer ahead of Marco Reus. And uh, Haaland, and he is leading the league in assists. Some counted as 12 assists, some counted as 13, but uh, yeah, I think Transfermarkt has it with 13 assists and uh, 12 goals. And uh, he is uh, the uh, third best when it comes to scorer points. Only Timo Werner and Robert Lewandowski with 26 each. To Sanchez, 25 are uh, good. And according to Transfermarkt also, right now he is the most valuable player of the Bundesliga with 120 million uh, transfer market fee. So, Matthias, 
Jaden Sancho will turn 20 on March 25th, if I'm not mistaken. And I really don't like to hype players that much, but uh, given these stats and uh, the the way he's performing right now, um, you know, we all know that he's going to be a superstar, but is he already reaching world-class form uh, at this young age right now in the Dortmund shirt? I don't see why not. I mean, if you think about it, uh, other teenage sensations like Kylian Mbappé was, you know, at least borderline world-class uh, as a teenager. Um, I don't see any reason at this point to not say at current time he is playing as good as anybody else is in that position, which obviously puts him at the world-class level. Um, and we'll just have to see... If he can maintain it, obviously he's still very, very young. I, it just seems like everything now is kind of clicking, not just for him, also his attitude, mentality, uh, but everything around him, the coaches, the his teammates, it seems to be clicking and playing very, very smoothly. And I feel like the addition of Haaland also helps bring out some of the best qualities of Sancho, given what Holland is able to do ahead of him, which obviously opens up some space. Holland also dictates that uh, now you saw it against Union Berlin, that occasionally they would try to double him up and man mark him a little bit tighter, and then that leaves space for everybody else around him. And someone as extremely talented and as good as Sancho can exploit that in, in extreme ways. I do wish on occasion, and this is not a Sancho-specific criticism this is a critique against a couple of his teammates in the last game that occasionally maybe a little bit more directness and just taking the damn shot would be kind of nice <laughs> uh, versus then that one cutback or holding up the play just for that one extra second or playing that one extra pass you know there were a few instances where they just should have taken the shot and odds are it would have been a goal but you know i mean that's that's starting to nitpick but you can't have that happen too often because then obviously even crappy teams will score against you so uh but getting to your question is he playing world class right now absolutely there's there's uh, no question about it yeah i mean we can criticize the decision making but uh, the problem is his decision making otherwise is so good that uh you know, that really would be nitpicking. But same question to you, uh, Constantine. Do you think that's uh, a world-class level right now of Jaden Sancho, considering that, A, there's still a lot of room for improvement, which is scary, and uh, B, um, we, we all know that uh, the only way for him is probably up. Yeah, it's interesting because when you sometimes watch him, like when you watch isolated uh, situations uh, he's involved in, or he's basically the, the main part of it, um, you don't necessarily think like he's this outstanding, out-of-this-world player um, because he still does a lot of, I don't know, stuff where that looks a little bit, I don't know, not amateurish, but it looks... I mean, 90 minutes are long for a lot of dumb mistakes, let's yeah, put it this way. Right, and, and, and sometimes he does these, these or he tries these uh, take-ons, and like it looks just, I don't know, it's not working, and he just stumbles over a ball, and uh, that's that's why I meant, yeah, sometimes he looks a little bit like an amateur, uh, but then his output uh, in terms of, of scoring and assisting and key passes and all this stuff... Uh, is of course great, and uh, sometimes I think he's he's not like world class, world class, but he's close enough to world class where where he can um, destroy average Bundesliga um, 
backforce, back phrase, and 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 that's basically average Bundesliga teams. Um, so which tells you where his ceiling might be. On the other hand, of course, we especially, uh, I mean, we three and most of our listeners, I guess, are watching him very closely every week, uh, at least once every week. Um, and of course, I mean, just watch uh, Paris Saint-Germain, for instance, and I watched some Mbappé or as, you know, just mentioned Mbappé. Uh, and he as well does some, some uh, dumb stuff uh, throughout the match. And then gets into an altercation with Thomas Tuchel, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> when he stopped off, uh, usually. Uh, no, but, but what you really can, I mean, one, one thing I don't really have wrapped my head around is whether Sancho is that athletic. I, I mean, just, you know, con to continue the discussion around, is he really world class? Is he really that athletic? Um, uh, sometimes he doesn't really look like, that high level athletic, like some of our wingers are, um, or a lot of like world class wingers are really, um, benefiting from high level athleticism. In his case, it's, it's not that he's this, I think he's a high level athlete, like high level, high level athlete. Um, which also brings me to one point, uh, which I've made the argument quite often in the past, um, that I don't think that he necessarily is like this, this, um, out and in winger is this kind of uh, um, touchline winger uh, where he's really uh, really close to the touchline uh, taking on opponents I think he uh, and I think uh, down the line he will be much much better suited in a let's see a half space role and right now if the free for free he doesn't necessarily play as this touchline winger because usually Hakimi or Guerrero the wingbacks are uh, much more outside and he's a little bit more inside um, and even like, against Union for instance uh, he was on the, on the left side and, and uh, Holland was on the right side and, and Royce was somewhere in behind but also on the right side it was a, it was a mixed hybrid system um, and so he was basically uh, like a second striker next to Holland in, in, uh, on occasions and that's much better for him uh, that's, I think that's a much better uh, position he's not like the, the iron robin uh, touchline winger, um, just not what he, and, and I think uh, one main argument for that is that his level of athleticism is not as high as, you know, the Robins and of course the Ronaldos and Mbappes. Yeah, I think this is maybe one thing where Jane Central can still improve, you know, uh, we've uh, mentioned the Mamba mentality on last uh, week's episode and I think um, he can still work a lot on on his uh, physical shape and athleticism and and in, in these uh, you know regards. But have you um, have you just called him fat? No, um, I'm I'm just saying. Uh, but um, I think um, you're you're right there. Um, I wrote when I when I saw the formation for first with uh, Arling Haaland up top. I wrote it down as a three four two one. Or, uh, but you can also obviously play it as a three, four, one, two, where you have more of a number 10. Um, and I, I think you're right. Um, it's, it's quite good for Dortmund that you have a lot of players in, in the half spaces just by default of the structure. And that will obviously highlight their strengths, which is why I really like what Favre is doing right now with this system, because I think, um, we have a lot of attacking potential in this team, um, but um, we have seen during the first half of the season that uh, just having uh, skills and, and stuff on paper doesn't necessarily mean it, it automatically translates 
to the pitch. And now I think we have found a system where uh, that is more and more the case. I mean, scoring five goals in three games in a row is not a coincidence, even if it was against Augsburg, Cologne and Union Berlin, who are not the creme de la creme of the Bundesliga. But nevertheless, um, I think that's that's quite an achievement and obviously um, also down to the fact that we right now have a striker that's This is absolutely on fire. And uh, Konstantin, you will have the honor of talking about uh, Erlang Haaland and his accolades. But uh, before I let you speak, we will hear from Nevin Zubotic, who um, yeah, named him in a very illustrious group of Dortmund attackers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it started here with Lukas Barrios uh, going forward to Lewandowski and Aubameyang. Um Now, uh, Haaland uh, is obviously, uh, I think, right in line uh, with those characters. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, he's basically a mix between Lewandowski and Aubameyang because he's got also a complete game. He's got speed. Uh, he's got finesse. He needs about half a chance uh, to score one goal. So um, I'm, I'm happy for the club, not happy for us today as an opponent, obviously, because um, she makes something out of nothing. So uh, congrats to him and to the club. Uh, for sealing the deal. Do you agree with Nevin that he is a bit of a mix of Lewandowski and Aubameyang? Before I say something about that, I have to question uh, Nevin's math a little bit. Half a chance, one goal. I don't think that works like that. Um, but, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, okay, Nevin, Nevin, Nevin is above these things, right? He's he's. Uh, He's, he's, he's not a top-tier uh, defender anymore, a place for New Berlin. Nevin Zubotic knows it's, that the number one does not exist in expected goals. That's so you never have a full ah, chance. Ah, right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, penalties are 0.75, so... And, and, and Nevin knows something about penalties. Exactly. A lot, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, coming back. I think... I'm not sure. Um Young is um, a linear uh, hybrid striker. For Arsenal, he isn't a striker. He's playing on left side, uh, usually, because of, uh, like I said, playing in the middle. Um, or, or, I mean, at least uh, in, in, recent, in recent matches, I've uh, when I've seen Arsenal... Um, I think that's more of a reference to, to Holland's just sheer pace and explosive uh, speed. Right, yeah, but, but, but that's the thing, right? Um, Aubameyang is, of course, faster than Holland. Um, Holland is fast, Aubameyang is faster. Um, I mean, especially because uh, Aubameyang has like this, this uh, basically not Usain Bolt, but but almost Usain Bolt kind of running style uh, where he really lifts his legs and uh, basically like a professional uh, track and field runner. Um, Have you seen Haaland run? I mean, he's lifting uh, his knees up. It's almost no, uh, like a no, like yeah, a but he's he's angle. also flailing around his arms. I know, uh, <laughs> which, which is not like in terms of aerodynamic. Um, I don't think that's effective um, and efficient. It's it's not. Uh, we have to talk about it, right? Uh, he's he's flailing his arms around like an, an you know inflated tube. You know, you know these figures. Um, so and in terms of and uh, in, in comparison to uh, Lewandowski, yes, Lewandowski is a better player and um, a better playmaker basically than than Holland. Uh, his layoff passes are 
uh, more impactful. Um, his positioning is still a bit better than than Holland. I mean, I, I get, I get. Well, all obviously, the he's not on the level of Robert Lewandowski right now. Obviously, no, no, no. But what, what I what I'm trying to do is um, to the millions of millions of our listeners uh, is to is of course I'm also on the Holland hype. I mean, I've been on the Holland hype, or I was on the Holland hype before he laced up his boots for Dortmund and. Uh, and yeah, I mean, of course, there's a, there have been some questions about his technique and stuff like that. And of course, his arms, uh, you know, high up in the air somewhere. Um, but I, I just want to make something clear. I mean, Lewandowski is still a better striker, right? At this point, at this point in time, he's still a better, uh, more complete striker than um, Erling Holland. Uh, just to make it clear, I mean, that might change in a couple of years. Of course, they are of different age, and we will never have like both at their peak against each other. That's that. It's not. It's not working like that. Although Lewandowski seems ageless, because I mean, look at him. Um, but uh, I, I, I get it. Um, you try to make these comparisons. I don't know. I think uh, Holland is a, a kind of a unique striker because he is physical, but he's also quick. And and because he is a poacher, but he's also someone who, because what he played for Salzburg especially, he can be involved in plays, he can make these layoffs, and so on and so on. Uh, but I don't think you can really make a comparison. Sometimes, it's just one thing, sometimes I think Erling Holland is what Jürgen Klopp thought of Giro Immobile before Giro Immobile went to Dortmund and uh, crapped the bat um, <laughs> and <laughs> proved that he's not a technical striker. I sometimes think like uh, when, you know, that's a little bit of that because physical, poacher, quick, uh, but also, of course, a technician and, and Immobile, of course, was, wasn't was one or isn't one. Uh, Holland is one to some extent, at least. Uh, so there's a comparison. All right. So Holland also, just <laughs> like Sancho, setting new Bundesliga records. Um, he has been become the first Bundesliga player in history to score seven goals in his first three appearances. Um, pipping, among others, Paco Alcázar, who scored six in his first three appearances. All of his seven shots on targets were goals and I think he only has a total of eight shots. One shot was blocked and right now he has scored seven goals in 136 minutes, which means on average he scores one goal every 20 minutes or 4.63 goals per 90. Um, Matthias, obviously impressive numbers and we know they will uh, regress to the mean. But that being said, how happy are you and we've talked about this last week, but, um, you know, just continuing in the same vein, how happy are you that he scores goals like the 2-0 against Dortmund where he just bursts through, I think, three Union def defenders and just makes the run to the far post where then the uh, Julian Brandt cross uh, ends up and he basically just, just uh, yeah, pushes the ball over the line? Well, just along the same veins is what, uh, we talked about last week. This is exactly the type of goal Dortmund have been missing this season. Uh, it's that striker instinct goal, which non-strikers don't have. I mean, we, we talked about it when Azard or Götze or any of those play in the, the striker role. Their instinct is more to look for the pass rather than attempting to score. And I know I am literally quoting a football manager attribute at that point. Um, but that's, that's that instinct. Whereas someone like Holland, and Paco was that as well when he was fit. But Holland, I feel like it's even more so. That's his first instinct. I want the ball. I want to score goals with the ball and get in the right position. There was some moment, I forget, I, I forget exactly what minute it was, but 
uh, there was a breakaway opportunity again, and Holland, you know, broke into the far post, and the ball didn't quite get to him um, before then. And so he he always makes those runs. He gets into that position to score the the tap in poacher goal. But that again is what Dortmund have been missing. They have it now. Like you said, he's probably probably now we can't say for sure, but probably not going to keep up the scoring rate. If he does, he's going to be the greatest goal scorer in the history of the sport um given his age but uh you know long may it continue <laughs> as as long as it can go and i think he'll get more of those opportunities i think he'll also continue to score a lot of goals because those are the opportunities and chances that Dortmund has been creating consistently but without anybody really there to make that run and do it and he's not one to then hold it up at the last second and make another turn he just wants to score a goal and um that is what Dalton have been lacking and it's great to see that Dalton are no longer lacking that yeah i think that's uh, really hitting the nail on the head it's not like Dalton had particular problems in creating scoring chances or scoring goals it's just the type of goal um that they have been lacking with a true number nine that they have now uh as well which which uh obviously will help them beat more opponents because um that I think will help them score more consistently against various opponents on various levels and uh, create uh, goals from, from different opportunities and, and, and situations. Um, so one, one point I would add is that I also really liked how he won the penalty because I'm not sure I've, I've seen the replay like three, four times now. I'm sure is there, if there was a lot of contact, but, um, he just really sold it well that uh, there was not enough evidence to overturn it. Um, and I think that was just very smart, um, to, to lay the ball where he, where he put it, um, just away from Gikiewicz. I'm not sure if, um, if there, you know, had he not fallen down like he had, if, if he would have been hit, whether it was sort of, you know, him protecting himself from the goalkeeper using his feet there. Or whether it was just smart play, um, I leave it to everyone, um, to decide that for themselves. But, um, I think, um, that alone is also something that Dortmund has, have been missing a little bit. Just the, uh, the cleverness in the box to, to win a penalty here and there because Dortmund this season, uh, are not winning a lot of pens. So, um, something they obviously like. And, uh, then Mark Roy is converted and, uh, Shout out also to Axel Witzel, who then uh, again uh, scored, I think, the 4-0 before uh, Haaland scored the 5th. Um, before we end the debate about the Union Berlin game, um, there is a question from Jordan Johnson at JJJohnson underscore underscore 6 on Twitter. And he asks, what do you make of Royce and Hakimi's reactions to being subbed off Konstantin? Um. I don't really. I mean, I, I, my, I may understand why uh, Hakimi was, um, I don't know, angry or something uh, because he didn't play that well. Um, had a couple of situations where he didn't really um, do much, and might you might, could say the same about Royce. So it's not like he had his best. Yeah, game. but, but um, yeah, probably. Uh, but still, I'm just. I don't know. It, I, I I saw Hakimi as one of the um, underwhelming players in a great or in a good team or great team uh, at 
that Saturday, so um, maybe, um, I don't know if you have to be that angry, but uh, it also shows you that uh, despite um, basically um, dominating an opponent, uh, there's still fire and there's still someone who uh, gets angry when he, when he doesn't do that well. Um, so, I mean, it also it's it's a it's a positive, I think. Uh, on if 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 you look at look at it from another perspective, um, yeah, it should, of course. I mean, if they if now it becomes like a common thing that uh, if someone uh, is is uh, substituted and then yeah, I don't know, throws water bottles around, then it might <laughs> be a problem. Uh, I mean, they, they, uh, it shouldn't become a habit. Uh, we're gonna then. It looks like I don't know they are all angry about father or something, and uh, there's this. Um, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, so yeah, I, I look I look f- uh, at it from a more perspective of like just uh, ambition and um, that yeah, someone like uh, Kimi doesn't want to get subbed off if uh, when he after he makes a underwhelming or after he had an underwhelming performance, so he wants to stay on the pitch and make something happen. While I don't know uh, Holland uh, is setting the world on fire. I mean, I think the same. It's just one of minor thing I want to add. I, I think after the Augsburg match. Uh, when you just watched the uh, Royce interview after the match, yeah, he was happy that that uh, Augsburg got beaten and that Holland uh, scored three goals. But there was maybe a glimpse of jealousy, <laughs> um, in uh, hiding be- hiding behind the eyes of Royce uh, that he you know that that now this this other guy is in like he he's uh, about to become the next superstar and uh, Royce has to fight for his place as Dortmund's resident superstar. Uh, so uh, not like not like bad jealousy uh, like. Um, <laughs> might if if someone is comes in and is like a becomes a total superstar and then there's Sancho as well who's like especially in the English speaking media who's like the focal point of of the Borussia Dortmund coverage uh because he's English um why not I maybe uh or he sees like uh, that he becomes older and he has to fight for a spot uh, not for a spot in team but for a spot as like being this uh great figure that the, the cover boy uh for for the for the FIFA game and and stuff like that I mean it's about that let's let's be honest like that's of course it's about money and it's about success but it's also about like fame and uh being acknowledged as the as the top uh Dortmund player yeah I think uh, you, you're correct there, um, and uh, it's annoying me a little bit. I don't know about you, Matthias, but um, I think um, Hakimi doing it is one thing. If the team captain is doing it, is is another. I don't think Marco Reus should show that much petulance when he gets subbed off after scoring in the, I don't know, 60th minute or so. Um, I kind of understand that you're a little frustrated because, you know, this is exactly the moment uh, where the game is decided and you know the flood games uh, the floodgates will open and the happy time starts really um where you will arguably have the most fun and i think Dortmund then scored uh, two more goals in in quick succession um and i think Gerhard Tremmel, the uh, color commentator of the Bundesliga World Feed put it down quite nicely when he said uh, it's also showing disrespect to the other players who also work hard and and want to have some uh, minutes on on the pitch. Um so I didn't really appreciate it that uh, attitude and that frowny face from the team captain when you were uh, winning right now that much um wh- how did you see it? Well, I mean everybody knows I'm old. So, uh got to go at it from from an old standpoint where you don't show up your coach that way. Um you know, I I know 
things are changing, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it's not the Mbappe level of... That was just... Honestly, I, I saw that whole incident with Tocha. It got a little uncomfortable even at some point. You're just sitting there like, okay, this is <laughs> awkward now. Awkward. Um, but, but, you know, Hakimi going out fine. You know, he's a very young player. He's probably also frustrated, uh, like Konstantin said, with his level of play. Of all the players on the pitch, he was probably the weakest um, on the day. And with Royce, I understand that he was frustrated. He didn't want to come off. You never want to come off. You're playing for the Euros. You're playing, you know, and, and for, for so many reasons, also to reestablish his form, because like you said, now, oh, now we're going to score some goals. Now it's time to kick it up a notch. Um, but I agree with you that I'm not happy with, I mean, you can show some frustration. That's okay. That shows passion and willingness to want to do it. But then, uh, to, you know, take the tape off of his wrist and chuck it. That's just, eh, mm, not a fan of that, especially like you said, as captain. Also keeping in mind that you have a lot of fixture congestion now coming up in the next few weeks now with the cup tie, Bundesliga and then PSG. Um, so it's just, uh, it was the right decision for Favre to do it and also to get Azad on there and, and um, have them work together with, with Holland. So, yeah, I agree with you that it sent the wrong message. It wasn't the right reaction. I didn't like it. But I soon forgot about it simply because the game was so much fun and there were goals and obviously the Subotic thing at the end. Uh, and I think that's probably where we need to compartmentalize it at this point. Okay, okay, it was just a moment of laps of frustration of wanting to score goals and he showed a little too much frustration but you know we'll we'll just move on from there and it seems like everyone has moved on from there yeah i think um overall we can be very positive with this game because um i've heard from many eyewitnesses that uh, the atmosphere at the westfalen was uh much, much better than uh, in, in previous games and really on a high level. And uh, to many people, the uh, celebration together with Nevin Zubotic was uh, one of the emotional highlights. Um, obviously, it's different if you're not there in person, but um, yeah, that was uh, certainly um, very endearing and uh, sort of the, the, the cherry on top for Dortmund at the end of a very nice uh, and, and perfect afternoon. And then, uh, you know, moving into third place is even better now. Um, Dortmund are, um, only what three points behind Bayern Munich. And that means three points behind first place. So everything is open again. And, uh, I think we look in a much, uh, we're in a much happier place now than we were at the end of the Hinrunde. So that's all very positive and obviously something we can talk a little bit more about when we talk about Leverkusen. Um, but for now, um, let's talk about the cup match on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. So, um, you might have, it might have already happened once you listen to this episode. Um, we have a question from Michael and he basically wants to know whether Dortmund should put more emphasis to the cup this season, considering their early exit last season and uh, whether that, um, is something Dortmund should do or, um, or not. Well, I'm going to agree with Lucien Favre here, who said uh, today, I want to win every match. We want to win every title. We want to win every tournament we're in. And I think the even though Florian Kohfeldt uh, said something along the lines of, the result in the cup doesn't have a bearing on our performances in the league, that's total crap. 
every game has a bearing on the next game that you play. It doesn't have a bearing as far as your standings in the league. Duh. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, but as far as your form, you want to keep things going. You want to hey, put another fiver up. Put another fiver up. Just keep going. I do expect some rotation, but the good thing is there's enough squad depth there now and quality squad depth that you can do it. And I wouldn't be surprised if, again, we see, you know, Holland on the bench and then Togan Azad in the striker form-ish role. Um, so Dortmund can put out a uh, slightly weakened squad and still be very, 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 very good, especially when you look at a Vera Bremen side that are in total crisis mode. Uh, Frank Baumann, their sporting director, even said the situation is dramatic. So if there's a time to ideally not get knocked out of the cup by Vera Bremen this season, uh, this is definitely it, uh, because they're about as down as they have been for a few seasons. So uh, I think Dortmund should keep rolling. There's no reason to de-emphasize the cup. I think it's important and keep the wins going just because of the the mental um, form that it helps create also for the league and then for the Champions League. Yeah, I will very much agree with that sentiment. Um, and uh, yes, there is certainly enough depth in this team to rotate. Um, I personally expect uh, Dan Axel Zagadou to either start again or, or to have another substitution. And, um, I mean, if we look at Werder Bremen right now, they are really in crisis. I mean, they're in 16th place. They just, uh, lost to FC Augsburg, which is uh, obviously a direct opponent for them, if, if you will. And before that, they were beaten by, by Hoffenheim. I think their only win came against Düsseldorf, but then they lost 5-0 against Mainz, which is very painful. They lost 1-0 against Cologne. So, um, the last five games, all came against teams where they think they, they might have a chance or is, or are teams where, where they think, um, you know, from, from the start of the match, this is, these are the games that you should win or at least get points. And, uh, they've lost four out of five. So things aren't really going well. And right now their, their average is that they score 1.3 games per, uh, yeah, 1.3 goals per game and uh, concede 2.3 goals per game. So that's just uh, absolutely horrendous and uh, you know, sort of dooms you for, uh, yeah, failure. Um, that all being said, um, Constantine, what are the Bremen strengths right now? Um, before the podcast, I've looked at who scored and it's literally said there are no significant strengths. But maybe since you uh, sometimes analyze their games and write for deichstube.de, I think it is, um, there might be a couple of discernible strengths we can talk about here. So um, if Bremen are doing something well, please tell. And then while you're at it, um, you may go on your epic monologue and also tell us where Bremen are extremely weak and how Dortmund can catch them. Well, um, it's a good question uh, to point out some of the strengths because uh, even I think if you uh, would ask Florian Kofeld right now, the head coach, um, uh, <coughs> he, he may not come up with uh, much uh, because there isn't much. I mean, they, they got hit by a lot of injuries, especially um, concerning the, the 
back four, back three. So um, that really hurt them during the first part of the season. And right now they're just uh, weak in terms of attacking power. Um, if, if you want to point out one one thing that's still going for Werder Bremen, especially in the, in the relegation battle they are facing, is that um, they have a couple of gifted or technically gifted players um including David Larsen and, and Maxi Eggestein, Noi Shahin, um these kind of players, Rashika, Rashica uh, to an extent, uh Bittencourt maybe. Um so I mean they have a couple And they of have Dortmund Schreck Davy Selke among their lines right now. Well, but I'm still speaking about technically gifted players. Uh <laughs> so let me go ahead. Uh and not interrupt if Davy Selke. Uh <laughs> It's just, it's just uh, that they have, as I said. I'm sorry. Yeah, as I said, I mean, they have a, they have a couple of uh, players who are still capable of of, of making plays and um, playing the ball downfield uh, accurately and precisely and and with purpose. Uh, but it like the pieces don't fit together. Um, that's the problem for for, for Bremen. And um, I was just. Today, actually, I mean today, I was just recently uh, asked by by a fan. Uh, I was following also the this, the, the Bundesliga closely. Um, because if if it ha- if it has to do with uh, Max Kruse leaving Bremen uh, before the season, um, because in some of these more um, uh, superficial uh, analysis, um, it's often mentioned that like Max Kruse's departure uh, hurt Bremen that much, and that's basically one of the major reasons for the downfall of Bremen this season. Um, and I don't think like Max Kruse leaving is the is necessarily the, the the major problem. But what Max Kruse did last season was he he was able to hide some of the weaknesses Bremen had. Um, because even last season they were they were weak in build up. Uh, didn't really have a plan to move the ball downfield. Um, so what they did was often enough just play a deep ball, uh, a deep ground ball to Max Kruse, who was the target player. I mean, on paper, he was the center forward, but in, in on the pitch, he was more or less the number 10, just a target player uh, who could then um, receive the ball and make something happen, uh, lay off uh, to some of that uh, his, his, his teammates who were uh, running behind him. So... That's uh, with him out, uh, and if you watch, especially matches against uh, teams that are capable of, of uh, applying a high press uh, and being really intense uh, and working against uh, Bremen's build-up, uh, they they really fall short of anything other than maybe uh, playing a long ball to Rashica, who's trying to pin it down in, in the in the cruiser style. Uh, but he's a different kind of player. He's not that uh, well equipped with his back towards the goal. So uh, he's more of a, more of a, uh, someone who wants to receive the deep ball behind the back line, or at least with speed uh, going towards the back line. Um, so yeah, I think that's the major problem, and that's why you watch some of these Premier matches where they. Don't have anything going for them for them in terms of uh, um, creating chances and just making a couple of plays and being you know uh, looking better than than just a, a team incapable of of scoring. Um, now they brought in Davy Selke. Of course, Selke has a history of Bremen um, before he left uh, for Leipzig a couple of years ago. Um, uh, much more physical striker than Rashica, for instance, and of course Osako. Um, so they have something there um, with, with someone who can maybe be the target player, 
problem is just that Zelka is not that technical, and so if you play these ground passes that that once uh, Cruiser received, I don't really think that works out with Zelka. Uh, but of course, he's he's a much more much more of a physical presence in the middle, and Rashica now can play on the left side, uh, where he's he's actually at home. Um, so that could work for them, but I don't really see see the, the Selka move improving Preyman um, to a level where they suddenly become something else. I uh, just watched the match against Augsburg uh, uh, last week, and uh, it looked basically the same. And it's, yeah. Um, I think that there was some hype uh, around uh, Kofeld last season. Uh, him being considered as one of these young up-and-coming coaches who could uh, take on a job at the likes of Dortmund. Um, I think his stock has fallen because uh, even after, I don't know, 18 months or so, he hasn't really come up with, a, with an idea how to fix uh, Premier's build-up. And even with bringing in Kevin Folk, for instance, who's, who, who has proven his ability to um, be a precise and, and versatile and also reliable uh, cent- central defender uh, at Hoffenheim, he did it. Um, with, with Nuri Shahi in, in the middle and, and David Klaasen in, in various roles and Maxi Eggestein on the right or in the middle. Um, still, he's, he's not. He not it hasn't come up with a, with a feasible plan, um, or at least the plan is not applied correctly. I don't know. Um, so I think his stock has fallen t- to some extent. And yeah, against Dortmund, I mean, I don't know what to say. Usually, Dortmund should beat them. Um, it's why not? I mean, does there aren't <laughs> any any arguments for a Premier win right now? Of course, I mean. Maybe I put my foot in my mouth right now because, like, it's the cup and it's Dortmund and it's uh, weird and it's Preyman and it's Davy Selke, who's like not that great. Although I think he he has he had the potential once to be great, uh, but who might just I don't know stumble the ball into the net. I don't know something like that. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's a I would. Bit weird. I would say this game really is a test of character now for Dortmund because um, we now had two very positive games at home. But uh, at the same time, um, we we know um, that uh, Dortmund struggled on the road, and uh, I think I'm not lying when I say that both Davy Zelke and Milo Rashica um, both have a penchant for scoring against Dortmund. So um, that's something obviously to keep in mind that they can um, score goals out of basically nothing sometimes because Dortmund screw up. So um, to me, it will come down more or less for the black and yellows to avoid their um, classic individual mistakes they often make. And uh, at the same time, um, you know, it's um, it's obviously going to be interesting how and if Favre rotates. And uh, Matthias, you've already talked a little bit about rotation. Um, I'm not sure how many changes you will make. Um, maybe we'll see a Nico Schultz instead of Guerrero. So I don't know. Um, any any major changes that you would predict? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, see Nico Schultz. Um, why not? Might as well put him in there. I I agree that uh, Zagadou will probably probably play. He needs the match time <laughs> to get fit. Uh, now Favre in the press conference he was asked about uh if Emre Can is going to play. And he said, maybe. So there is there is that possibility. Um, other than that, I wouldn't make too many changes with the back line. I mean, they're not going to get stressed too much. They haven't really been stressed much the last couple of weeks. 
Um, so as far as fitness goes, I, I think that's kind of what you do. I mean, maybe you put in Hakimi since you subbed him off and give Pishek the night off. Uh, I don't expect the double pivot to change. And up top, I could definitely see uh, Torgan Azard playing. And then either Holland sitting on the bench or Royce or Sancho getting a bit of a breather at that point. Yeah, maybe we'll see a bit more of Girena. I don't think he will start right uh, right about now. But, um, you know, there will be definitely a lot of options off, off the bench. Um, we have one question about Emre Can. And uh, obviously, um, you haven't talked about him either, Konstantin. Um but uh, someone asks whether we will see a back three of Zagadou, Hummels and Jan already against Bremen. And uh, I think more overall, is this something that, that you see hip happening in, in this regard? I don't know if it's uh, will be happening against Bremen. Might be much uh, too much. Uh... This what this. This is also my hunch that it's probably not going to happen right away. Yeah, it's too so. much of a change. Uh, I, even Zagadou has just recovered or came back from an injury and hasn't played that much since the winter break. Um, so I don't know if like you go, you put him in there, um, him meaning Zagadou and also Chan against a, a newly formed attacking uh, line uh, from Preyman. Uh, just mentioned, you know, Selke, uh, Rashica on the left. So... I mean, we have to think about it because I, I think uh, sometimes Farfer is, if doesn't feel comfortable when he hasn't figured out the opponents and uh, there's not much footage out there how, how Rashica and Selka and, and I know who plays on the right against um, will be interesting to see maybe uh, Bittencourt, maybe Golar and uh, Golar will not play on the right side. Uh, so yeah, we will see, but uh, there's not much footage out there so, so he doesn't know what to expect. Uh, from from Premier's attack, so um, I think you go you, you go the safe route uh, if you are Farfra and if you are basically thinking the same way as Farfra does usually. Uh, but in term in general, I think right now um, everything considered, um, Akanji's issues, uh, Pischek's Pish age, uh, Balerdi probably being held hostage by <laughs> I don't know who. Uh, because there's nowhere to be found. Um, Same with Moray, to be honest. Who? Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but but it's it's really. Um, I think everything considered, and um, Sagadu, especially as a lefty, uh, Hummels in the middle, and Sean on the right might be the quote unquote, let's say, perfect back three um, if everything works out. Um, of course, I mean, Sean <laughs> if, if has... If the opponent doesn't have a lot of pace, you mean? Yeah, that, but that's that's true for, uh, like, every combination I could come up with now. I mean, just <laughs> I, I, unless you, you will go all out Pep Guardiola and play, I don't know, Hakimi as a as a centre-back and uh, Nico Schulz as centre-back or something. I mean, that, that... I mean, Akanji has made a lot of mistakes, yes, but I still think that his pace sometimes makes up for Hummel's lack thereof in, in certain plays where he just uh, makes a vital run that uh, prevents another chance. And uh, I I believe that yeah. when you have Emre Can in that position, those runs will be missing. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's the Restverteidigung, the last-ditch defending sort of uh, runs that you miss and then you can see chances that you usually wouldn't and uh, that's 
sometimes or often actually very dangerous for Dortmund. So um, mm. I I do believe that having at least one quick player in the backline, and I don't want to say that Zagadou is necessarily slow, but um, Akanji is actually quite good at, at making these runs. So um, having him not in there, but Chan actually, uh, you know, has his pros and cons, just put it this way. Sure. Um, I still think, I, I, of course, I, I wrote on Twitter that uh, Chan uh, suffers from a lack of speed. And like I was shown all these uh, stats that he had like one of the top speed uh, or um, like his, his top speed was among top 10 uh, measured with, uh, last season or uh, one of the Premier League seasons a couple of years ago. Um, maybe. I mean, at one point, Hummels had the uh, highest speed of all players at the World Cup. Uh, because he probably had yeah, 60, Hummels can six, be very fast, but yeah, after sixty yards or something, acceleration, not about top speed. Right, right, people. it's about the t- 10, 15 yards or so, and, and there Chan has his problems. But I also think Akanji has sometimes his problem with like f- the first ten or fifteen yards, not because he's he has bad acceleration. I think he has great acceleration. It's just that sometimes he he needs uh, about a minute until he has turned or something, or he also sometimes he doesn't know where to turn to. Um, and and uh, there's there's just something I still I still believe that Akanji is not at one hundred percent. I still believe that the problems he had with his hip are still there to some extent and that's why they're still not lying all right um <laughs> but but there's there's still there's still some problems that sometimes he's he doesn't look agile he looks like uh, like a truck when he tries to turn around and sometimes uh at, at again against union at the one set piece they had uh, it was a sad piece of course um when he tried and he jumped and he barely left the ground <laughs> Um, and, and so it, it make it makes you question his uh, form and fitness and I don't know, I think I still think uh, he not that he's like Piszczek 2.0 because if you remember a couple of years ago when Piszczek played with uh, massive hip problems and uh, backs under his eyes because he couldn't take it anymore uh, I don't know he's at that point but I still think he's not at 100% uh, he being a kanji so um, that's why uh, yeah that's why I think he has dropped and his stock has fallen um, still the same defender he was uh, two years ago so but it's just something missing and I think it's related to um, fitness you know it's a very small sample size but looking at the uh, just isolated at the Union Berlin game, I thought that Lukas Piszczek as a wingback played much better as the right center half. Um, obviously, this is just one game, but um, I I still do believe that Piszczek as a um, as a wingback and then having Chan instead of Hakimi as a, as a right center back, for example, um, could really help in in high profile games where you need or in situations where you want a bit more of defensive solidity. Because we all know that Pischek as a wingback can provide that better just because of his footballing IQ and his defensive instincts than uh, Acha Fakimi can. So um, I think that's what Dortmund had in mind really when uh, they signed Emre Can, just uh, knowing that uh, Dortmund sometimes just, you know, need cooler heads to prevail. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to how. Favre will integrate him into the team. Um, I've uh, labeled him as a rich man's Gonzalo Castro last uh, week, and oh uh, I've I've been uh, completely vindicated considering Emre Can also has a 27. 
So, uh, <laughs> um, no, but in all honesty, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it pans out. I personally am not entirely sure, um, where, how, and, uh, if John plays, but, uh, it's, I think a smart addition and, and a good squad player to have. Um, Matthias, uh, final closing words on Emre John. Maybe we'll see him against Leverkusen. Um, if you have a comment on, if not, then, uh, let's just, Move on to the predictions because we still have to talk about that Leverkusen game. I think uh, we'll just move on to the predictions at this point. All right, then go ahead. Uh, I think Dortmund are going to win 4-0 against Bremen. All right. I'm saying 3-1. Konstantin? 3-0. Uh, um, two Holland goals. Um, yeah, two half chances. <laughs> All right. Um then I guess it is time to move on to Bayer Leverkusen, who have uh, leapfrogged FC Schalke now. Um, remember Schalke when they were ahead of us? Um, now um, Schalke, I think, after this terrible scoreless draw against Hertha Berlin, uh, are done for the season. Um, I don't think they they are even allowed to uh, move up in the table anymore. Um, I think every um, positive... Or any any rights you had on anything um, after this game should just be uh, completely thrown away, and I think uh, there should be an official request by the sixteen other Bundesliga teams that uh, this scoreless draw, because it was so drab, um, instead of shared points, uh, it should be zero points for both Schalke and Hertha Berlin because that was so dreadful and such a waste of time in my life that um, I think. Um, there should be some extra punishment, to be honest. But um, let's talk about Bayer Leverkusen because they're struggling themselves. They have lost now to Hoffenheim last weekend, two to one. Um, a game that's probably a 50-50 tie. And there are other teams in this league that have lost two one to Hoffenheim, um, which we will not not mention any further. Um, so Matthias, this game will be a very crucial one for Dortmund because A, it's a Bundesliga top match. It's, uh, against a team there where you want to keep and, and build some distance, more importantly. And of course, we all know Bayern will play RB Leipzig on Sunday. So if you want to enjoy the other game, you will obviously have to do your homework first and beat Bayer Leverkusen. Now, if I remember correctly, Dortmund uh, beat Leverkusen in the Hinrunde very successfully and uh, it was a classic Peter Bosch game to lose. Um, do you think we will have the same joy again at the Bayer Arena on Saturday at uh, 6.30 local time? I do think Dortmund will win this match. Now, obviously, it won't be easy and there will be plenty of moments for Leverkusen. Uh, I think there will also be a goal or maybe even two for Leverkusen in this match. But Leverkusen, like any Peter Bosch side, but specifically even just Leverkusen in general, uh, they're such a head case. Um, you, you, you're not 100% sure what's going to happen. I know that's something that Dortmund has been described as over the last couple of seasons as well. But I feel like Leverkusen's always been that way, as long as I can remember. Um, and th they just have those massive, massive lapses and uh, kind of, I don't want to say lack of discipline at times, but they they definitely have their weaknesses. And I just feel like 
when when Leverkusen in particular, and obviously this might be conf- you know confirmation bias going back thirty years, uh, whenever Leverkusen have an opportunity to do something big, they tend to not. And um, so, you know, it's it's going to be a very tough match for Dortmund, but I do believe their overall quality will help them through. And I think what will help them is also that you'll have a, a back line or a back three of Sagadu, Hummels, and Akanji. Um, I think uh, that that will definitely play to, to Dortmund's strengths. And who knows, maybe Emre Can instead of Akanji, given that Emre Can used to play for Bayer Leverkusen. So maybe there's a little bit of motivation there. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, you know, just looking at the record, Dortmund have uh, beaten Leverkusen five times out of the last six games, and the other one was a draw. So it's been a while since Leverkusen beat Dortmund, and Dortmund have sort of developed into Leverkusen's Angstgegner. Um, you know, last time Dortmund played at the Bay Arena, they were actually 2 down at halftime, but then also thanks to Paco Alcázar, um, and I think Jaden Sancho came on off off the bench, as well, Dortmund in the end won four to two. That was a great comeback game, and uh, I was personally there um, covering that match for ESPN. And I remember just having a lot of fun because it was a very open game. It was a very wild game. Leverkusen also had a couple of very good chances to basically um, kill it off, but then they didn't. So um, I think. Uh, as far as I can remember, um, all the last games against Leverkusen for Dortmund have been fun with uh, a, a good outcome. Um, question to you, Konstantin, how much of a blow do you think the uh, suspension of Kerim Demirbay is because he picked up a second yellow against Hoffenheim late in the game? Um, do you think uh, that is a player that will miss in that Leverkusen system right now against Dortmund? I guess yeah. Um, just uh, he's he's interesting with uh, them by or he's an interesting case because he's not quick. Um, so not necessarily like the best uh, pressing player, and of course pressing is a major part of Leverkusen's game. Uh, but he provides the kind of passing skills you need uh for out of the backfield. Um, so yeah, I think uh that will hurt them. Um, and I don't really, really know how they will replace him. Uh, maybe Harvards gets moved back into the center midfield and Amiri plays um, as a number 10, for instance, might be something. Uh, it will be interesting to see uh, how they how they solve that issue or like Peter Bosch will go all, all, all defense, which, no, of course not. Uh, he's Peter Bosch. He will never <laughs> go all defense. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, for, that's, for people who don't know right now, I think Peter Bosch is playing in a, I would, I would call it 4-2-3-1. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Demi Bay is sort of the number eight in the double pivot it's, next to Baumgartlinger. Right, right, so right. Like the, the, it's the a very key position. And, and I always, when I watch Leverkusen, I always think that, um, Demi Bay is at least a solid player, uh, if not, if not better. He's sort of, uh, the replacement for Julian Brandt, if you will, in that mm. system, even though, um, Bosch played with Brandt a little bit differently. I think it was also more of a 3-4-3 system then. Um, but, um, yeah, it w- will be interesting to see. Obviously with Diaby, with, uh, with Bellarabi and Folland and obviously Kai Havertz, um, Leverkusen can, Hurt Dortmund really, really bad. And again, I've I've talked about character tests. 
um, this will be not only a character test for Dortmund, uh, given that they're playing on the road, but also just a bit more of a test than they had against Augsburg or Cologne and, and all these teams. So, um, yeah, I'm really interesting to see how Dortmund, uh, play their counter pressing and how that will work out against Leverkusen because we all know that the Peter Bosch team usually can play around the pressing. Um, but the, the question will be then how can Dortmund play around theirs? So I think this might actually be quite a chaotic match and, uh, Looking at um, how Dortmund are in form right now, if they can carry that through the Bremen game to the Leverkusen game, I um, have a have a similar feeling like Matthias, and I think Dortmund should come out ahead. So, um, you know, just looking at at the strengths and weaknesses, I think um, Dortmund will have the edge a little bit, especially with a player like Haaland. I think he um, and for that matter. Um, uh, Julian Brandt, these players were made to destroy by Leverkusen. And we all know that Leverkusen is also one of the favorite uh, teams for Marco Royce to play and score against. So um, usually that that uh, makes me very positive. But we all know if I get too positive, Dortmund tend to crash and burn. So um, I don't want to get too much ahead of myself. But uh, I'm looking forward to this game in, in many ways. Also just to see um, whether, you know... Dortmund really are in that title race because to me that's a question I wanted to ask uh, after the Union Berlin game but uh, saved for now so Matthias you get to answer it Dortmund now three points behind Bayern Munich who have won six in a row um, are we officially back in the title race now yeah and I don't think Dortmund were ever out of the title race um, uh, the the scary thing is obviously that uh, Bayern are doing quite as well uh, as they are it's nice to see Leipzig kind of stumbling a little bit and um, other teams kind of below Gladbach falling to where they are. I think of the ones below the top four, uh, the only one that I can really see making a challenge into the top four is this Bayer Leverkusen side. That's why that's such an important match all around for both clubs. Uh, but Dortmund are absolutely in the title race and um, have just as many chances of winning it as uh, any of the other ones in the top four, even though I would say probably Gladbach have the le the less chances uh, of of the remaining four teams. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, these things change so quickly that I'm not confident making uh, any predictions right now. But um, yeah... Konstantin, looking at the Bundesliga right now after 20 match days, um, how how confident are you in uh, Dortmund having a title challenge until match day 34? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, of course, right now they are in the title race uh, and title contention. Um, problem is that they are not allowed to drop that many points or like more than, let's say, five points or so. Uh, and until or in, in, into March, uh, because Bayern are right now on a run that might may change again. Um, but still, I mean, if you drop like five points or something, I think that that could uh, set uh, München, uh, Munich, um, then basically set them free <laughs> to win the championship. Um, I think Dortmund has has the second best shot at winning. Um, RB Leipzig. I think they will go under uh, against Munich uh, next Sunday. 
um, especially playing at Munich. Um, problem with them is just uh, that bo- both their their center backs, their, their best center backs uh, are, are best, I mean, probably best center backs. I can arguably um, are are injured right now. Um, Super Meccano so, out too. No, no, Konate and Willi Orban. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, arguably, because I, I, I saw uh, Upamecano have a couple of problems against Gladbach, so I wasn't sure if there was. Yeah, something. yeah, but he's not known. He, he recovered. I don't know. He was. Yeah, yeah. I, I was limping a little bit, but then he recovered and looked fine. Uh, but, uh, but I, but, I mean, going into the season, uh, Orban and Konate was the was the centre back pairing. Uh, both are have long term injuries. Um, that's that's pretty bad. Of course, Upamecano is still there, uh, but they also gave away Ilsunker. Uh, to Frankfurt, so another center back is out. Uh, so there's really that that really could hurt uh, Leipzig. Um, and in terms of Gladbach, I just think that um, they have, they don't really have the personnel to uh, really challenge Bayern um, over the course of the next 14 matches. Um, but Dortmund, ha- of course, has the personnel, um, has of the attacking power, especially. I think in terms of the attacking power. Dortmund is the best team in the Bundesliga. Overall, Bayern is the best team. And and in terms of, I don't know, just viciousness and athleticism, every Leipzig is it. So uh, <laughs> uh, make of it what you want. Um, it's 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 interesting. What I what I also find interesting, just to make one last point, uh, in, in, in regards to the title races, that the entire discussion about, I don't know, Lucien Favre not being suitable to um, win the championship or he has to be dropped by Dortmund. And so, that has died down, right? I mean, it's just I've not heard anything about like Farfer should go or I don't know, something like that. Uh, I mean, Dortmund just won three games in a row, but... Um... Yeah, but they, but they, yeah, but before that, before the winter break, they you know, dropped points against Leipzig and lost at Hoffenheim and so on. Uh, but, but still, I, I don't know, something has changed a little bit. Like people have calmed down. I mean, well, I would the, I would biggest... say that hmm? that's that's because Dortmund have changed, and uh, I mean, we yeah. were all a little bit skeptical after that Augsburg game, but overall, um, I think two things have dramatically changed with that Hertha game, if you will, um, where Dortmund uh, were down to ten men in the end, and uh, you know, really needed to hustle, but. Um, I think that a the the formation change with Dortmund playing Julian Brandt uh, in midfield and obviously Dan Axel Zagadou um in the in the back three um has has made Dortmund much much better I'm just highlighting their strength and I think overall the um in in the games beforehand the attitude of Dortmund has changed also significantly I thought that uh, complementing the system change and uh, making two very crucial and very important decisions I think overall the team, uh, uh, just the, the the character of the team changed, and I I felt like because Favre was very much on the hot seat, and um that that Dortmund just turned it around a little bit against Leipzig. I think the first half was one of the best first halves that we've seen Dortmund play. Then obviously they laid an egg and only drew three three, and Hoffenheim I think in the end they just ran out of steam a little bit. But overall, just looking at the body of work ever since that uh, win against uh, Hertha Berlin, including the the five nil shellacking against Düsseldorf, and then I think you you had that two one win in between against Slavia, and then you beat Mainz for nothing. Um, overall, um, 
the the record is looking up and it's not only the record that is looking better but just um the style of play looks much more fluid now the team chemistry is much better and you see much more hustle overall um something we have not seen before in in that regard so um i think that is why i'm a little bit more positive about dortmund's title challenge now because a couple of attributes that were missing for a long part throughout this season where it looked really drab and uh, you knew the potential that Dortmund had but not really getting it on the road. And now with uh, a couple of clever um, winter additions, obviously Arling Haaland uh, up top, but also Emre Can, I think, will head this Dortmund team. Um, you actually have a very good uh, shout for, for a Bundesliga title now um i don't know if if it's possible because bayern munich really do look strong right now but at least you have a chance and that's uh, all you can ask for with this dortmund team and i really hope they do not crap the bed again so um these next two away games will be obviously very vital um to to see where this is all heading um just just to get a feel about Dortmund's road form and then obviously we will see them face off against Paris Saint-Germain and uh, Eintracht Frankfurt so there will be uh, a couple of uh, very in interesting games and uh, to make another general point for me personally this always is the the best part of the season where I can just enjoy it the most um, not only because Dortmund just won but um, this is sort of a part where Dortmund usually have found their swagger and are gelling and are playing well and you a have a lot of optimism still and b um you know if if it goes toward the end of the season and uh, you are still in the title race you know just the the pressure of having to win mounts so high that uh, you tend to suffer more through through games then then you get to enjoy them and it's all a little bit more nervy so uh, to me right now this is this is the best to time of the season where you really get to enjoy stuff and uh yeah just sit back relax and, and let these players play so um that all being said um constantine before we end uh i would like you to uh to uh, talk a little bit about how dortmund can with their attacking potential dissect by leverkusen what uh, the key matchups are and so how you think uh dortmund can really uh yeah Filet Leverkusen. Filet Leverkusen. Yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't... Help me, Matthias. What's the word here? Filetieren. Yeah, Filet is correct. All right. I was I was not uh, questioning your um, verbal skills in general. I was just... Uh, just conf a little bit confused about how you come up with a couple of words now, like Filet. Uh, Setting setting yourself, uh, of course, apart from us, uh, we, we, with, with street level English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, just kidding. Um, one of the main, I mean, the, the, it depends a little bit on who replaces Demir by, of course. Um, if it's a more uh, defensive uh, alternative, like I don't know, Stanislavic, for instance, or I know what's what what's up with uh, Palacios. He wasn't on the bench against uh, Hoffenheim. Of course, he could uh, also replace Demirbay. It's 
I mean, you ask you ask something of a, of a youngster like Palacios to just come in and uh, play against Dortmund, but why not? I mean, it's Peter Bosch. He, he likes to take. He's a risk taker. Um, so one of the major matchups, in my opinion, is um, Dortmund player X against Baumgartlinger. Uh, because if you can uh, keep him busy and maybe even uh, track him out of the middle a little bit, um, some, for instance, Royce could do that. If he plays as this hybrid number 10, then um, you can rip into Leverkusen uh, because then if the back line is not protected, uh, then someone like Holland has a field day. Um, so th that's one of the major matchups. Of course, uh, on the other hand, and I think Dortmund... Did that quite well. Uh, I mean, the, the the first match against Leverkusen was difficult, especially first 30 minutes or so. Uh, what Farfer did was he let uh, Delaney play against Harvards. Um, now I don't uh, ask Farfer to like bring in Delaney, which would of course not work. Uh, but um, you have to keep an eye on Harvards and how. Where he moves, if if he's more on on, the, on on one of the wings, or if he's more in the middle, and how you basically protect your backline uh, from Harvard's getting in between the lines, and then making a run at I don't know Sagadu, Akanji, or who else, um, whoever. Uh, so not men, you shouldn't men mark him, uh, but especially Axel Witzel should keep an eye on where uh, Harvard's is at all times. Um, and if it's not too much of a risk, of course, Witzel should engage in counter-pressing. Uh, but if it's too much of a risk, it might be better to sometimes just drop back and cover Harvard instead of making a move forward and trying to regain possession immediately. Uh, because if that doesn't work out and Harvard gets some space and, and time, um, then and that, that's when Diaby and Bellarabi or Leon Bailey or Amiri when these kind of players shine because they usually shine when Harvard is involved and and feeds them. Uh, of course, he recently he was assisted by Demir Bai, who is their uh, playmaker out of the backfield. Demir Bai is not there, so even more weight is on the shoulders of young Kai Harvard. Um, but I think um, that there's not like too much to carry for him. Uh, because he has shown that he's capable of doing so. Uh, so the neutral, Dortmund neutralized him in the, in the first outing against uh, Leverkusen, and they have to do so as well again. Um, yeah, so one minor thing I want to add is that um, Leverkusen might be the best high-press team, um, the, te the best team to, to apply high-pressing. Um, and of course, Dortmund is susceptible uh, to high press and and uh, doesn't look that comfortable uh, when it's when when an opponent uh, defends even even goal kicks intensely. Um, so we will see. Um, main problem is not that like uh, Hummels or Kanji are on on technical. They are, uh, but they are on that agile and sometimes they are not um, comfortable enough when, when when some some opponents make a run at uh, at them. Um, then, of course, when they make a mistake, it's all about them making the mistake, but usually they are forced into mistakes if, if like, they uh, turn over the ball immediately. Um, same when Flatbach uh, plays a high press. Um, so, yeah, that's one minor thing. I, I'm, I'm really curious about how, how Dortmund um, 
whereas against uh, the, the Leverkusen's high press. And, and also how, how Peter Bosch, uh, what Peter Bosch does against uh, Dortmund, if he's just his, his usual self, and which is exciting and also some sometimes pretty ridiculous. Um, but it's the, that's the Peter Bosch experience. You know, as a Leverkusen fan, at least you have something, uh, you, you feel something when you watch a Peter Bosch team. Yeah, isn't that nice? Uh, less agony <laughs> since he is uh, no longer Dortmund, but no, Leverkusen. But um, Matthias, this is sort of my next question to you because um, I think um, Leverkusen games right now with Peter Bosch are quite unique for Dortmund. If you think back, the last two games were both played at the Westfalenstadion and in both instances, Leverkusen, I think, in the end had a 66% possession, um, which is just not something that doesn't really happen that often even when uh Bayern play at the Westfalen Stadion um you usually don't see these kind of numbers and I remember um last season I think it was an uh, this season between the 65th and the 80th minute even though it was a 4-0 win in the end um Leverkusen had I think like 73% within these 15 minutes just utterly dominating Dortmund without ever really creating too many chances. But um, nevertheless, if you do not have the ball that much, um, it's it's a completely different game. Um, so my question is, how do you think Dortmund will deal with that? And uh, how will Dortmund's backline shape that um, experience for Dortmund? Because um, Konstantin just pointed out correctly that Dortmund, A, sometimes get a lot of problems when they are pressed and especially... Um, in that first, in the very first build-up moment where Birki plays the ball to Akanji and then you play it onto Pischek sort of in that uh, area around their own right corner flag on that right side, Dortmund sometimes ha have problems to, to free themselves and obviously on the, on the other um, side. So how do you think Dortmund will deal with the very dominant Leverkusen? Well, having a lot of the ball but not doing anything with it, does it even matter? Um you know, it's, it's, I, I get it when you dominate possession or when you have a lot of possession, you have the ball a lot. Obviously, if you don't have the ball, it's hard to score. But I think Favre is perfectly happy and content with letting Leverkusen have the ball and not really do much with it. But given how Pita Bosch likes to push super high up the pitch, it opens up so much space for you know, the likes of Holland or Sancho or Brandt or anybody else to run into, especially given the pace that you now have with Holland there. Um, I'm seeing quite, I, in, in my head, I'm already visualizing of quite a few of those textbook Mats Hummels outside of the right boot passes into space. Um, but when, when Dolman have the ball in their own half, like you said, that pressing that we know is going to come and is going to happen that's going to be the key one and that's where you know I kind of I would feel better with Lukas Piszczek as a right wing back than necessarily Hakimi just because I feel like uh, that's when a cooler head needs to prevail a little bit in situations like that because we know Hakimi can make those mistakes when put under a ton of pressure um, I feel like on the other side, then Guerrero would probably be the better option than Schulz, just because Guerrero is more able to pass out of a situation like that, especially if you have a Zagadou on that side and a Brandt to kind of combine and then maybe a Royce dropping deeper to help out. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to watch. I think if we get a full strength back line, 
i.e. a full strength back three of Hummels and Zagadou and Akanji or Chan. Um, I feel more confident than if it's going to be a back line of Akanji on the left, Hummels in the middle, and Pichek on the right, and then throwing in Hakimi. I think then Dortmund's going to be, is going to have a lot of problems in their build-up play. Um, but again, I do trust the occasional Hummels pass to, I mean, really just a long ball <laughs> to, to unlock Leverkusen because there's going to be space for these really fast attacking players to get into. So it's going to be, there, there are going to be opportunities on both sides. Like I said, it's not going to be easy for Dortmund at all. Um, and I could see Leverkusen getting a draw or winning this, but I, in my gut, I do still feel that Dortmund will come away, uh, the winning side. Yeah, I would say this, that uh, both DRB and Bailey are not exactly famous for uh, tracking back. And I think this is uh, the spaces on the wings where Dortmund can really exploit Leverkusen. And uh, we've seen Dortmund's transition play become stronger and stronger over the, the months. Um, You know, it's still not as good as it could be. But I think especially with the addition of Julian Brandt now in midfield, um, Dortmund have become more vertical and, and, and quicker. So... um. That's one thing, and I really do want to see how Dortmund react to that counter-pressing now with Haaland up top, if we will see players just try to punt it to him to, you know, lay it off, which is obviously not an easy endeavor against a Tau or a Bender, but, um, you know, I just wonder if, if that has any effect on, on Dortmund's overall approach to a counter-pressing and whether we would see just more long balls from the black and yellows and whether that helps them or whether that makes matters worse. That's, I guess, just something we will have to learn and see how it goes. But, um, yeah, I think we've talked a little bit, uh, I think we have talked uh, more than enough now about these uh, three games. We're one and a half hours into the show, and I think that's a very good moment to end it. So um, I will uh, introduce the predictions now with the uh, four to win for Dortmund. Konstantin, what's your guess? Yeah, an exciting and wonderful um, two-one. <laughs> Matthias, I'm gonna go with three-two. A lot of back and forth, ebbs and flows, and I think a late. Holland goal gets Dortmund all three points. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to Dortmund's uh, struggle because we all know they drop off at some point and there will be the sloppy face and uh, it's going to be brutal. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a game where everyone shall be on the edge of their seats. But, uh, you know, we all look forward to it. And uh, in that way, um, it's also time to say goodbye. Konstantin, how can people find you on Twitter and the... Uh, and your work um they just check out my or should check out my twitter account uh cc underscore ack n-e-r all right yeah yeah where you can find his new youtube channel among other e things. everything everything texts videos banter serious analysis personal stuff but also of course related to professional football and beyond that's just great so please go follow Constantine, as always. Also. Well, unfollow me. I don't know. I mean, what's... it depends. Anyway, uh, Matthias, how can people get in touch with you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Matthias Huck. And since I am not the media mogul that Konstantin <laughs> is these days, uh, you will find nothing there except my uh, full opinion. Which is also very wholesome. Um, you can find me at Stefan Butzko. I will refrain from uh, from commenting how, how my Twitter account looks like. I will uh, let it's other people discuss. It's a mess. All right, yeah. It's a mess. All right. Constantine, I'll just cut you out from now on and we'll continue with my outro. Uh, you can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, if you want to read our written stuff, please go to theyellowwall.net. If you want to unlock the paywall content, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall for $1. You can access all our written content. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast itself, please go to SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc and uh one uh personal ask is uh obviously you can find our show also on youtube please subscribe there so at some point we can even monetize that without uh it being too annoying so um if we get i think a thousand subscribers is what you need we have reached a hundred now so please everyone go to our youtube channel which is also the yellow wall and uh, subscribe and that that would be awesome so um yeah anyway that should be all for this week again thank you to matthias and constantine for coming on and lending their expertise and of course everyone out there listening contributing sharing and all that as always thank you and goodbye